Hi everyone, I'm Bia and welcome back to Cardi Grady for Teens. So as you might notice, I'm here in my pajamas, uh, no makeup on, just um, having a little pajama day because I'm social distancing myself and that's something really important that we should all be doing because although us teens might be okay if we get the coronavirus, those around us with um, with weaker immune systems might not be okay if they get it. So it's really important that we all practice this social distancing these, uh, these days so that we can help, right, to um, prevent the spread of this disease any further. But the good thing about that is that we get even more time to be at home and to read books such as The Gospel According to Spiritism and any other books, right? We might, um, it's a time for us to catch up on our homework, even a time for us to relax, but it also gives us some free time to reflect on these messages that Jesus brings to us. So there is that very positive aspect to this social distancing and to being inside of our house. So let's get right to it. So last week in the Gospel According to Spiritism, again, we're still on the introduction, but the introduction is very important for us to get background information. So in the introduction, we are on section three. And this third section gives some words that, um, they're words and definitions. And that's really important to us because as we know, in the time of Jesus, right, there was a whole different vocabulary. And although these teachings are in English, even the English words are words that we don't use these days or we don't um, we don't see these days. So it's really important that they bring to us these definitions so that when we're reading Jesus's message, we understand what he's talking about, because we know that Jesus spoke in terms of the people, right? And he spoke so that the people would understand. So he uses specific examples for the people of that time. So when Jesus is mentioning the tax collectors, right? What does that mean, right? What does that group mean? The Pharisees, what does that group of people mean? Because he's referring to what the people of the time can understand, but that's not necessarily what relates to us these days, right? So it's really important that we read through these definitions and we get this background information so that we can better understand Jesus' teachings in the rest of the book. So last week we did three of these definitions and we did the Samaritans and the Nazarites and the Publicans. And we talked about that last week and the video is saved on the Cardiac Radio for Teens um, playlist on the Facebook page. So definitely go check it out if you miss those because those definitions are gonna be really important to us. And again, now with our free time uh, at home, we can hopefully um, do that, right? And go through this and understand these definitions better. Um, but one thing I just wanted to recap on is um, the publicans. So we talked about how they are the ones that were collecting taxes, but they were collecting taxes, but also becoming rich. So it was um, kind of a corrupt system is what we talked about. And that's just important going into the next definition that they bring us. And the next definition is the tax collectors. And again, um, for this section, I'm going to be reading specifically what they wrote because um, they give a very detailed explanation and it's on a topic that even I don't know, right? I, I don't know what the tax collectors are until we study it together. So I want to read their definition so we can all get a full um, concept. We can all get the full idea and not just... Um, interpreted. So the tax collectors. These were the lower class of collectors, entrusted principally with the collection of tolls on entering cities. Their function was more or less similar to those custom officials and the granting of passes. 
They shared the rejection suffered by the publicans in general. This is the reason why, in the Bible, we frequently meet the word publican alongside the expression sinful people. This did not imply debauchery or vagrancy, but was a term of scorn, a synonym for people who kept bad company, people unworthy to mix with decent people. So here we can see, so the tax collectors are the lower class of the collectors, right? So we know the publicans were the ones that were the upper class. They were the ones that were getting rich off of this, right? And in this corrupt system. The tax collectors, however, they were mostly like, um, like we know, like toll bridges, right? They were the people collecting the tolls to get from city to city. Except they often get grouped, although they didn't get super rich like the publicans, they often get grouped with the publicans of being sinful and being um, hated, right? They didn't, people didn't like them because they were taking the people's money. So they often get grouped with the publicans, these tax, tax collectors. And again, not saying that because they were um, a publican, because they were a tax collector means they were sinful, right? No, they were just doing their job, right? But it's people that um, kept bad company, unworthy to mix with decent people. So not only were they collecting the tax, but they were being corrupt, right? They were using it for themselves. And it, it's that aspect. So it's not the aspect of, oh, they were collecting taxes, but that's their job. No, it was the corrupt part that got people to dislike them. Um, and again, think of them as sinful people. And for just, yeah, people to not like that, that group of people. So oftentimes, like they're saying, we might see that a lot, see that the publicans and the tax collectors are referred to sinful people. And now we understand why, right? It's not because, okay, anyone who collects tax, tax is sinful, because we know that we need those taxes, right, for our, um, our towns, our schools, and all of that. But it's talking about what was happening with those people, right? Being corrupt and um, all of that stuff that was happening, taking the money away, but they were becoming rich. Okay, so the next word that we have is the Pharisees. So from the Hebrew meaning division or separation. So Pharisee comes from the Hebrew word that means division or separation. Tradition is an important part of Jewish, Jewish theology. It consists of a complement of successive interpretations given to the scriptures and that become articles for dogma. Among scholars, this was the subject for interminable discussion, most of which were over simple questions as to the meaning of words and their former form, just like theologists dispute the subtleties of scholastics in the Middle Ages. From all these resulted different sects, each one wishing to have the monopoly of the truth and consequently detesting one another, as so often happens. So here they're kind of giving us background to the Pharisees, right? So they're saying tradition is really important. Um, and they said, but there was the scriptures, right? Their main thing, but it kept getting interpreted differently. So these Pharisees, right? These scholars um, were, so there was these scholars, right? And the scholars would all argue about what was the right interpretation. And because they had different interpretations, they often wouldn't get along and they wouldn't like each other because, oh, I want to have the truth. I want what I say to be true. So they formed into different sects and like different little groups 
because there was those who believed in this those who believed in that and everyone had their own interpretation and they all wanted to be right so oftentimes those sects did not get along so they continue among these sects the most influential were the pharisees whose chief hillel a jewish doctor born in babylonia some eight eight 180 or 200 years BC was the founder of a famous school where it taught that faith should be put only in the scriptures. So the Pharisees, right? Um, so the most influential sect, right? So all these people are having all these different opinions. They want theirs to be true. And they're saying the most influential of those were the Pharisees, the group of the Pharisees, whose chief, right? The leader of that sect was Hillel, a Jewish doctor, and they, um, a founder of a school that faith should be put only in the scriptures, right? So we're looking at the scriptures, not in interpretations. Then it continues. The Pharisees were persecuted at different times, especially under Hyrannian, who was sovereign pontiff and, Jew and king of the Jews. Aristobulus and Alexander, who were king of Syria. However, Alexander granted them honors and restored their properties, which made it possible for them to reacquire their old powerful status. This continued until the ruin of Jerusalem in the year 70 AD, at which time the name disappeared as a result of the scattering of the Jews. So, because the Pharisees were saying, okay, we right faith is only in the scriptures so we're not looking for interpretation right we're looking at the scriptures what is in the scriptures and of course because all these people had different ideas that they wanted to be right these pharisees were persecuted at different times right so people were going after them and didn't like what they were saying because they were saying something different than what they wanted to believe um right so under different kings they were persecuted but Alexander, um, King Alexander granted them honors and restored their property. So King, so King Alexander, right, agreed with them and helped them restore, um, their p properties. And that's how they kind of got their power back, right? Their name back. Um, because at that point they were being very persecuted until the point where, um, Jerusalem, um, was ruined. And at that point, the Jews all scattered. And because of that scattering, the Pharisees kind of disappeared with that. So after that point, there wasn't this group of Pharisees. So we see that this wouldn't be a word that we still have today because it doesn't exist today. So it might not be something that we usually hear and we usually, um, and we know the definition of. So that's why this is really important. And again, even if we know the definition, like a tax collector, you can imagine what a tax collector is, right? Someone who collects a tax, but there's more to it, right? There's more to why the people didn't like those tax collectors at that time, right? More historical facts that we need to know. So then it continues. The Pharisees took an active part in religious controversy. They were faithful practitioners of exterior cults and ceremonies full of ardent zealous and proselytism, enemies of innovation, maintaining great severity of principles. But behind the covers of punctualist devotion lay dissolute habits, a great deal of pride, 
and above all, an excessive desire to dominate. Religion was actually a means to an end, rather than an object of sincere faith. It possessed nothing of virtue beyond outward appearance and ostentation. Nevertheless, they exercised a great influence over the people, in whose eyes they were sacred. This is how they became powerful in Jerusalem. They believed, or they claimed they believed, in divine providence, the immortality of the soul, eternal punishment, and the resurrection of the dead. So again, we might think, what's so wrong with people having different ideas, right, and following the different ideas that they believe? But here we see that they were saying, right, that they, um, that they were doing all these principles and they followed this and this and this, but behind all of that, there was dissolute habits, a lot of pride, um, and they wanted to dominate, right? So they were thinking more about their this religion as a way for them to dominate, a way for them to be in power, instead of a way to just um, express their faith. So that's where this whole thing gets um, a little corrupt, and that's where we might start seeing the Pharisees in in a bad way. And so again, it says they said that they have um, that they believed in um, the divine providence, the immortality of the soul, eternal punishment, resurrection of the dead. And they were, um, the people, they had a great influence over the people, right? Because the people thought they were sacred. So when they said, said these things, the people would believe them. And again, it shows that they have this great power, right, over the people, but they weren't using it correctly. They were using it to have power, not to spread their faith and spread their beliefs. So then it continues. But Jesus esteemed simplicity and the qualities of the heart above all. His preference within the law was for the spirit that vitalizes to the word that kills. He thus applied himself through his mission to the unmasking of their hypocrisy, and because of this considered by them to be their enemy. This then is the reason why the Pharisees, together with the high priests, incited, incited the people to eliminate him. So, right, Jesus in in um on the contrary right jesus was there to spread this faith right to spread this um these teachings and not to be powerful right Je jesus didn't want to be a king he didn't want to be powerful no he wanted to be simple right this simplicity and the qualities of your heart above everything else right it doesn't matter what kind of power you have if you don't have that good heart right that good heart is what um matters so Jesus saw, right? Jesus knew what was happening with these people being corrupt and just being powerful. So Jesus sought to um, to unmask them, right? To show, okay, these people aren't telling you the whole truth and they're just using it for their own benefit, right? Jesus tried to um, unmask what these Pharisees were doing and what their real intent was. Because again, Jesus, right? Jesus was just trying to teach and show these good messages and have this good heart and not trying to um, have all that power. But because they were, Jesus was going against what these Pharisees were saying, the Pharisees were, they saw Jesus as their enemy. So the priests and the, the Pharisees, um, they saw Jesus as the enemy. And that's why, because again, these Pharisees and the high priests, 
they had power over the people because the people saw them as sacred. So since they had this power and since they were seen as sacred, whatever they said, the people tended to follow. So that is why um, the Pharisees and the high priests incited the people. They said, you should um, go after Jesus, right? And they wanted to eliminate him because they saw him as the enemy. So again, this gives us a lot of context as to who the Pharisees was. And it's really important because otherwise, when we're reading these messages, we would never know what the Pharisees mean, right? So this is really important. So another word that they bring to us is the scribes. So again, let's read what they say so we can get the whole big picture. This name was given in Maine to secretaries of the king in Judah and to certain people who understood matters relating to the Jewish army. Later, it was applied to those scholars who taught the laws of Moses and interpreted it to the people. They joined in common causes with the Pharisees, shared their principles as well as their aversions to all innovation. This is why Jesus included them when he launches criticism against the Pharisees. So that gives us, it's short, but it gives us a lot of information. So the scribes were the secretaries of the king, right? So we know at that time, people didn't really write unless that was your job, right? Unless that was um, what you like trained for. And it was a, a high position, right? So scribes were the king. So they only wrote down important things. People didn't just write. Um, so, so right, as we, we think, right, someone writing something might not seem so important, but at that time, it was a really important job, right, to have those written records because it was a relatively new concept. So the scribes were like the secretary, right? They were understanding, or people who were important and knew certain information, they would also be these scribes. But, and again, and then later it applied to, so then that definition changed, and it applied to the people who were, um, who taught the law of Moses and they interpreted it to the people. So, right, so they, um, they were taught Moses' teachings and then they spread that to the people. So, like, kind of like a middleman. Um, so they kind of joined in with the Pharisees. And that is why when, um, Jesus is criticizing the Pharisees, because, right, as we know, they were just trying to get power and they weren't really expressing their faith. They, Jesus also criticizes the scribes because the scribes were teaming up with the Pharisees. So, um, again, we might think, okay, why is Jesus criticizing these scribes, right? Criticizing these, these quote unquote secretaries of the king or the second definition, the, the people who were teaching the laws of Moses. It's because they were teaming up with the Pharisees and they were also falling into this, um, bad path of just, of losing focus of what they were really trying to spread. And so the last word I want to go over today is synagogue. So synagogue comes from the Greek word synagogue, meaning assembly or congregation. So the definition that they bring is, there was only one temple in Judah, that of Solomon of Jerusalem, where all the great ceremonies of worship were held. Every year, all the Jews would go there in pilgrimage for the principal festivals, such as Passover, the dedication, and the Feast of Tabernacle. It was on the occasion of these feasts that Jesus would also be present. 
The other cities did not have temples, only synagogues. Buildings where the Jewish people would collect for their Saturday meetings and public prayers under the leadership of the elders, the scribes, or scholars versed in the law. It was due to this fact that Jesus, although he was not a priest, was able to teach at the synagogue on Saturdays. Um, so then there's another little sentence, but we'll read that after. So what they're saying is there was one temple, right? One big temple in Jerusalem. And for the big, um, for the big holidays, we can say, such as Passover, all the the Jews would come to that one temple to have this big celebration. And Jesus would also be there, right? So they would all come to this big temple for their main celebrations. But on their normal everyday lives, they had synagogue, synagogues in their, um, in their cities, in their towns. So synagogues were just, synagogues were just simple buildings that they would meet for their Saturday meetings or their prayers. So this wasn't a big fancy temple, but just simple, um, simple buildings where, where they would meet, right, on just little everyday things and not their big celebrations. But these synagogues were taught, so the, the temple was run by the, the high priests, right, and priests. But the synagogues were led by the elders, um, the scribes, and scholars, right? So people um, that were looked looked up 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 upon right so we people looked up to those people but they didn't have to be a priest right so people thought that these people were educated so they could run the synagogues but they weren't they didn't have to have that priest status and that's why jesus was able to teach at the synagogue because he wasn't a priest right he was never a priest but in um right so he was never a priest but he was able to teach because he was looked up upon he um the people like saw that he was capable of teaching right and they looked up to what he had to say just like these scholars or the elders or the scribes and then the last little line that they say is ever since the ruin of jerusalem and the dispersal of the jews the synagogues in the cities where they went to live became temples for the celebration of their cults so after Jerusalem was ruined and after their one big temple was ruined and they weren't going to go there anymore, then these little synagogues became more, um, not powerful, but that became their main place, right? Because now they weren't going. So now these synagogues became their temples and became their place of not only everyday little things, but also their big celebrations and their big celebrations. And they often grouped up, like they're saying, of cults, right? So they often grouped because it... It diverged, right? People had the same main concept, but different little concepts. Um, so after a while, these synagogues became their a more powerful entity um, after their one big temple was um, ruined. So that's where we'll leave off today. And again, I know that this part could be a little boring because we're not really learning any direct messages, right, from Jesus. Um, but... This is really important because this will help us so much to understand the messages coming in the future when we are reading these messages. Because if we don't understand this right now, it's going to be harder to understand the rest of the book and the rest of the messages that come our way. 
So again, even though this might be boring, we'll get through the introduction soon enough. In a couple of weeks, we'll finish the introduction and we'll move on to those messages and it'll be a hundred times easier because we processed this introduction. And again, this is a great time to um, reread what we've read in the introduction so far, go through it, try to understand it better, even look forward into some of the messages um, with this um, social distancing time that we're having for us to study, right? And use this time wisely to to help um, improve ourselves, even if we are just inside of our house right now, right? We can definitely use this time for the good and to better ourselves. If at all you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to talk about, um, anything you want me to talk about more, again, while we're having this free time, feel free to let me know, uh, comment below, or email me at cardicgreedyforteens at gmail.com, and I'll get back to you right away. I'm Bia, and this has been Cardic Greedy for Teens. Thank you all for watching.